morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Life Church. I'm Pastor Brady. Been around here for a few years. Good to be with all of you today. If it's your first Sunday, this is a normal Sunday at New Life. Organized chaos, like we call it, but it's been great. Baptism Sunday is my favorite Sunday. It's just a culmination of so many things that brings people to the water. But it's a miracle, right? Every baptism is a miracle. Every story is important. But I want you to hear this. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts that one of the identifying marks of a church where the Spirit is moving is that he will add to their number daily those who are being saved. Acts chapter 2. And in the last two years, we've baptized over 700 people, which is almost one person per day coming to the Lord on average. And I'm just grateful for that. I'm thankful for the people who've said yes to Jesus. That is the whole reason we exist. The entire reason that we're here is to introduce people to the really good news that Christ loves you, Christ has forgiven you, Christ welcomes you. That, that, that message never gets old to me. It changed my life. It brought me out of darkness into the light, right? And I'm grateful for that story. I'm grateful for his salvation in my own life. I want you to open up your Bible today to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, go to the red letters, take a right, and you will bump into the glorious book of 1 Timothy. And we're gonna be there until the Christmas season. So this is where we're gonna be parking ourselves for the next several weeks. And there is a legitimate reason why I think the timing of this is very important. Uh, because right now the church at large, not in new life, but the global church is under siege from bad doctrine, from unhealthy practices in many cases. It's really hard to find, I travel around the, the United States to travel and speak sometimes. And, Normally, if I'm not here on a Sunday, I'm speaking somewhere else for people around the country. And I hear this everywhere I go now, that healthy churches are hard to find. Healthy, life-giving, Jesus-believing, scripture-preaching churches are harder and harder to find. Bad doctrine has always been a problem in the church from day one. In fact, a couple of days after the resurrection of Jesus, there was a rumor circulating around Jerusalem that Jesus really hadn't died that he had just kind of been resuscitated. So heresy is not something new to the church. I have to tell you this story. I'm so proud of our life safety team here, a group of men and women who are dedicated to creating really safe spaces for us to worship on Sunday. And 99% of the stuff that happens, you never know about. And that's by design. But they are diligent and faithful. So this morning, I'm at this point in my message this morning at nine o'clock, telling people about bad doctrine, about the need to make sure our eyes are open to sound doctrine and all of a sudden a woman tries to come on the stage and she wants to tell everybody that she is indeed God. So if you don't think it's a problem, it's still a problem today. And obviously we'll pray for her. She's wrestling with some mental health problems but, and, and hopefully she'll get some help for that. But the point is that this is a, a, a topic that the enemy really doesn't want us to talk about. The enemy does not want us to talk about sound doctrine. So I want to talk to you today about the title of the message is Beware of Bad Doctrine. Beware. Keep your eyes open in this season. So Timothy was a young leader. He was probably in his 20s. We don't know exactly how old he was. Some people believe he was as young as 22 or 3, a young, right out of, uh, you know, right out of his teenage years. But he was leading a very important church, the church in Ephesus, a critical church. It was a small church, but it was in a, a key area, a very influential trade route in modern-day Turkey, and so Ephesus had a special importance among all the churches because if you went through Ephesus, you went to the rest of the world. And so this letter was written by an aging Paul, the great apostle, 
the man who spoke multiple languages, was highly educated. Paul was the scholar of scholars. Paul was a man who had his own radical salvation story on the road to Damascus, a, a man who was a, a devout Jew, but then became a devout Christ follower. And, and now later in his life, he had been in prison when he wrote this letter. He was not in prison, but he was headed back to prison and probably death not too long after this. This letter talks a lot about healthy church and healthy leadership. When Pam and I became your pastors 15 years ago, we never had ambition or even, we'd never have ever even talked about leading a large church. It's never been something we think about. It's not something we even care about. We want to lead a healthy church, a church that's focused on the mission of Jesus, where relationships are held in high regard, where healthy governance, healthy structure allows for healthy ministry. In fact, the greatest compliment that I still get today as a pastor is when someone walks up to me and says, Pastor Brady, this church feels safe to me. Now, they're not just talking about physical safety, they're talking about spiritual safety, a place where we can grow and thrive and ask questions and it's safe. It's a place where people are protected and cared for. That's a big deal to me. In fact, it's, it's, I'm doggedly determined to lead a healthy church. And that requires me to lead the way and make sure my own soul stays healthy, make sure the staff's soul stays healthy, because if I'm healthy and the staff is healthy, the church is healthy. This is exactly what Paul's writing about as he writes this letter to a young leader. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 6. He says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. I want you to leave that up for a moment. That's actually the word of the Lord for most people looking for churches right now. Stay where you put. Until God leads you to another church, you are to stay where you are called. Pam and I have thought about quitting a hundred times. <laughs> you know, it's just the pressure of the moment. But we've always made up our mind, we're gonna stay here. This is where we're rooted. God called us here. And I wanna encourage, maybe you're here today and you're church shopping. Maybe you're looking for a church home and that's great. Find a place, put your roots down deep in the soil of that place. And I have, I have some bad news for you there. I've actually know of no perfect churches in town. None of them. All, and I know all, a lot of pastors here in town, and they would all tell you they're being led by imperfect people, including New Life. Of all the imperfect churches in town, you found the most imperfect. We're led by flawed human beings, right? We're all in works in progress. So wherever you go, the church is always going to feel a little messy sometimes because it's, it's populated by messy people. And until we get to heaven, it's not going to feel perfect. So he says, stay there in Ephesus. Don't get antsy, don't leave. In fact, from time to time, I like to honor this group of people. If you have, if New Life Church has been your home for more than 20 years, would you raise your hand? Let us honor you today. If you've been in this church for more than 20 years, raise your hand. We, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for the faithful saints that stayed the course, who stayed steady during turbulent times. We had every excuse to leave and you didn't. And I'm thankful for that. Stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. It says, such, he says, are to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. In other words, if he were writing this today, he would say, don't commit yourself to Facebook conspiracy theories. But this is the language he's using. <laughs> Listen to this, such things promote controversial speculations. This is like being written to the church in 2022, right? 
says such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. And the goal of this command is, say it loud, love. Everything rooted in love, everything centered in love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Can we all ask for the Lord to give us all three of those things, a good heart, sincere faith, and says, some have departed from these and have turned to Facebook. So again, just making sure you're reading along with me there. The meaningless talk. Now, I, I'm a Bible nerd. I read theology. I'm obsessed with sound doctrine. And every couple of years, there's a group called the State of Theology Survey. That's a group of well-respected theologians that put out a report. And this report is designed to show pastors like me trends, what are people believing that are sitting in your pews? And the recent one just came out two weeks ago. It was the State of Theology Report for 2022. Now, if you're, if you're a geek like me and you wanna Google that this afternoon, it's fascinating reading. And the research is solid. What's troubling about this is that this year they uncovered four heresies that almost 50% of modern day American churchgoers believe. 50%, one in two people who regularly attend an American church believe these four heresies that I'm about to show you today. So I, I feel like I have a lot of job security. I'm just always got work to do. And so I'm gonna do some work today, okay? I'm gonna make sure that my church, the church that I'm responsible for, knows the truth about these four heresies because they're being taught everywhere. Small groups, places that you may attend may be teaching some of this stuff. And it's bad doctrine, it's not God. All right, here's heresy number one. People actually believe that Jesus was created by God and therefore is not God. That Jesus is a created being, which, which if you believe that, takes away from the divine nature of Jesus and reduces him down to maybe a well-respected moral teacher that once roamed the planet. That's being taught and believed by almost 50% of American churchgoers that Jesus was created by God and therefore is not really God. The problem with that is what John said about Jesus. John chapter one. Now, in the beginning was the word. Who is the word, by the way? Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In other words, in the beginning, it was Father, Son, Holy Spirit have always existed. Father, Son, Holy Spirit have always made up the Trinity. And it says, through him, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Sounds to me like Jesus is kind of important in the whole process here, don't you think? Now, verse four, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Listen to this. Now here's the reason why the divinity of Jesus is under attack is verse five. The reason that people don't want you to think that Jesus was fully God is because the world is full of darkness and the only cure for that darkness is a resurrected Christ. So if they can take away from the power or the divinity of that resurrected Christ, darkness wins. But verse five gives us a recipe for winning. It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. 
Listen, you know what the enemy wants to tell every one of us? The enemy wants to convince you that you're not taking a real Jesus into real dark places. He wants to convince you that you're taking a watered-down version of Jesus into a world that is hopeless. That's not what this scripture tells us. Actually, the hope of the world depends on you and I taking the resurrected Jesus with us into our workplace, into our schools, at the Air Force Academy, wherever you are right now. When you realize I'm carrying, I'm following, I have this person, this resurrected Jesus with me, the darkness cannot overcome it. You're taking a real light into a real dark place and that matters today more than ever. Somebody say amen. So when we recite the Nicene Creed and you get to this particular point, this is 1700 years ago, they were addressing this heresy in this passage from the Nicene Creed. And it comes out of John chapter one. Did you know almost all of the creed is lifted out of scripture word for word? God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. That is a confronting heresy number one. Now I wanna tell you something, Jesus is God. He's always been God and he always will be God. And that is critical for us to understand the reason and the importance for that belief. That's heresy number one. All right, heresy number two, you with me so far? Heresy number two, this is being believed again by almost 50% of American churchgoers, that Jesus isn't the only way to God. That, there's a, that many streams lead to the ocean. That there's a lot of spiritual paths that you can take to get to the one true God. And that's being taught pretty predominantly actually. In fact, it's being taught widely. And a lot of people, 50% of American churchgoers believe this, but the problem is John 14 because of what Jesus said about himself. It's not what other people have said about Jesus. Other people have declared Jesus is the Messiah and the only way to heaven, but Jesus says it about himself. John 14, verse six, when I'm having conversations with people and they, they wanna wrestle with me, I say, listen, I, I, can't, I didn't write the Bible. I just read it. I teach it, I read it. But this is what Jesus said about himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, when Jesus said that out loud, it was the most scandalous thing that he ever said. Because at that point, you have to, the only, C.S. Lewis says at that point, you can't just say that Jesus was a good moral teacher. At that point, you can't just say, hey, well, Jesus was a good guy. He helped the poor, gave, you know, he, he hung out with sinners. A good guy, we all like him, we all admire him. Jesus is one of my good people that I believe existed. That's not what Jesus said about himself. And C.S. Lewis says that at this point when Jesus uttered those words, he's either a liar, a crazy person, a lunatic, or he's a Lord. Those are the three choices. When Jesus uttered that statement, the only three choices we have about the nature and the person of Jesus, he's a liar, he's a lunatic, crazy person or he is the Messiah, the Lord, the resurrected one in the way to Christ. So he, 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 he makes us make a decision. That's heresy. And so by the way, when we recite this in the creed, it's one of my, when I, when I recite this, something warm happens inside of me. Because one of, the, one of the passages in the Nicene Creed says, for us and for our salvation, for us, listen to this, for us and for our salvation. 
A lot of people believe that Jesus just came down here to help us punch our ticket to heaven. That's, that's a big, that's, that's actually a good thing. It's an important thing, but it's not the only thing. Jesus actually came down here for us, to rescue us. In fact, I can wrap up the entire, the whole Bible in one sentence. God wants his family back. God wants to be near to you. God wants you close to him. That's why in the creed, when we say for us and for our salvation, he left the celestial palaces of heaven and came to a cradle in the dirt, was, lived a sinless life, was crucified, resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He came for our salvation and for us. Heresy number three. This is a very important one that's being taught, it's very, being taught and believed, that the Holy Spirit is not a personal being. You know, he's some kind of pixie dust, kind of a magical figure. Makes, you know, when he get, comes around, people get weird all of a sudden. Uh, some weird people get weirder. Normal people run away. Uh, he's, that, he's a mystical force. I don't know, he's like the wind blowing and fire. I don't know what about it, but he's, what is he? I don't know. But the Holy Spirit is actually a person. So I, I, found, I found myself doing this a lot, and I corrected myself this week. Oftentimes in my prayer time, I pray, Father in heaven, a lot of you pray like that. Father in heaven, I come before you. Jesus, thank you. I pray to Jesus in the name of the Father. But you know, how many times, when was the last time you talked to the Holy Spirit? He's the most ignored person of the Trinity. He's right there. Now listen, to, let me read John 14 to you. This is again in John 14. Listen to what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. It's, it's mind-blowing every time I read this. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. It sounds like a mom to me. <laughs> I'm gonna teach you and I'm gonna remind you. Because teaching is reminding, right? Teaching is not bringing up new truth oftentimes. Teaching is reminding us of what you've already been taught. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, to remind you, to teach you. And he says, and in fact, Jesus also says, it's better for you that I leave and the Holy Spirit comes to you. Listen, I want you to start having regular conversations with the Holy Spirit. This morning I did. I woke up this morning and I said, come Holy Spirit. I'm not talking to some magical cloud floating in the universe. I'm talking to the person of the Holy Spirit. Is he powerful? Yes. Can you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, it's true. But he's at first and foremost a person. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Holy Spirit, come to me. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, remind me today of who you are and what Jesus said. Holy Spirit, do not abandon me because I have neglected you. When we come to the creed, this is what we say when we confess to the creed about the Holy Spirit. It says, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son and with the Father and the Son is worshiped the same way you worship the Father. The same way you worship Jesus is the way you should worship the Holy Spirit. They're all three in one. And the Son is worshiped and glorified and he spoke through the prophets. Someone asked me the other day, I said, Pastor Brady, do I need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? I said, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> Have you been lately? Every second of your day needs the Holy Spirit. Forget about heaven, I'm just trying to get home. <laughs> Heresy number four, humans aren't sinful by nature. 
I don't know if you've been paying attention to the behavior of humans, but it's not getting any better. And this is the problem because a lot of people believe that we're all got, we, we just got goodness trapped all in us. That we're all good people, we just need to have it uncovered. Again, if you believe that, take your three-year-old to Walmart at two in the afternoon and let them skip a nap and see how godly they are. <laughs> Most people who believe this have never had kids. Listen, I, I, I know this is controversial, but this is why spankings and naps are the only cure for toddlers, right? I'm just telling you this, okay? I know it's controversial. I know I'll get an email. I was raised, listen, I was raised in the deep south in Louisiana, and this is a true thing. It's terrifying. When I tell people this, it terrifies them. There were at least 12 to 15 people who had permission to physically assault me as a child, and my parents did not care. He did what? And listen, here, this is the truth. I'm not making this up to be funny. It's true. There were 12 to 15 people who could, and they would take a limb off a tree, use their belt, and I was under constant fear. My, now about tens of thousands of dollars of therapy later, I'm doing a bunch better. I'm just telling you, that's life though for me growing up. <laughs> Listen to Romans chapter seven. This is for every one of us. Romans seven, verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. I'm just not there. He says, he says, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good. I want to eat kale. I want to eat salad. I want to go to one of those vegan nut bowl places. It just, but there's a Popeye's on the way. This is what he's talking about. Have you had Popeye's? You'll never eat quinoa bowl, whatever, chinoa, quinoa. I can't even say it. For I have the desire to do what is good. I want to lose weight, but I cannot carry it out. <laughs> For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What, what's Paul talking, what's the writer talking about here? He's saying there's something in us, that can, there, but he's not leaving us without a cure. He says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. It's sin living in me that does it. I have good news for you though, there's a cure to sin. And it's a good cure. It's actually a free gift. The cure for your sin has already been given to you. This is why the cross, listen, the theology of the cross is so critical. You may have never heard this before, but every sin of yesterday, all the sins that will be committed today across the planet, and all the sins that will be created in the future and forevermore have already been forgiven. The, the, the sin has been cured. So the, the choice for every single human being is that you choose to live under the curse of Adam or the blessings of Jesus. This is the choice for every human being. I have decided, and what we saw today in the waters of baptism were people making that choice. I am no longer under the curse of Adam. The fallen nature doesn't define me anymore. I'm now a new creation, raised to new life. The curse that was upon me has been broken off of me. That's the good news of grace. That's the oceans of grace that the Lord wants to fling you into today. He wants to toss you overboard from the curse and into an ocean of grace. There is a cure for our sin and it is Jesus. Jesus has always been the cure. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. We believe in one God. I want you to, would you stand with me this morning? I wanna 
I want to recite the creed with you. And I don't want to just recite it. I want to declare it. I want to speak it over you. I want to speak sound doctrine over you. This, this, this 1,700-year-old document was crafted by the church mothers and fathers as an affront, an assault against bad doctrine. And the, the Eastern church and the Western church hold this together. It's the one thing holding the church together in a splintered world where everyone's looking for reasons to divide themselves. The Nicene Creed rises to the top and reminds us that unity is possible. Listen, I may not agree with all of you on everything, but we have to find some common ground at some point or we won't keep, we won't survive. And what the Nicene Creed does is it holds this tension. I may disagree with you here or here, but on the core tenets of our faith, I agree with you. And that's, that's liberating for me to say that to someone who wants to argue. Listen, we can argue and discuss and have different debates, but what can we, let's, let's first agree on what we can agree on. So what I'm about to read to you is I believe every word I'm about to read. I believe every word. You may not, and that's fine. But if you believe it, would you say it strongly with me and declare it over your family? Declare it first over your own heart, soul, and mind. Declare it over your children. Listen, your children right now are being assaulted with bad doctrine. Your kids in the schools, my kids at college, my kids tell me things they're hearing and seeing, they're being assaulted. So speak this over your children today. Speak this over your grandchildren. These are important things we're about to confess. And let's do it together. It's gonna to be, a, take a few minutes, okay? But it's worth it. Come on, together out loud with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made, one in being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. But on the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. Here's one of my favorite parts now. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. Amen. All right, keeps going. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And if you believe that strong, say real loud, amen and amen, amen. Now, normally at this point in the, the sermon, we, we have communion. We come to the table of the Lord, but we're gonna do something sacred today. Would you, so I want you to be seated just for a minute. I promise it won't be long. But I wanna read this, I'm gonna skip ahead to 1 Timothy 3. One of the reasons, one of the, one of the hidden reasons really, 
that our church has remained stable and steadfast and strong is because we have a group of elders that shoulder the load of this responsibility with me. And they've been right by my side for 15 years. Many of these elders have been in the church longer than I have. And they are godly. They are prayerful. And elders are like the skeletal system of the human body. You need them, you just don't wanna see them. You know, if, if you see your skeletal system, something's gone wrong, but you need it. You need the skeletal system of your body to hold you upright, to keep you moving forward, to keep your body operating in a proper way. That's what elders do. And this morning, we're gonna lay hands and set in a new elder in our church. And I want you to listen to the list of qualifications that's required to be an elder. It's quite, it's very sobering. First Timothy three says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer, that word overseer can be translated as elder, pastor, uh, various translations, but he uses the word overseer. They desire a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? In other words, the proving ground for most of this is in private family settings, right? Verse six, he says, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. That's, that's an unbelievable list of requirements. So a few months ago, we helped Pastor Glenn go to Rock Harbor Church out in uh, Costa Mesa, California. And Pastor Glenn was one of our elders. And we had an opening on our elder team and we began to pray and fast and seek the Lord over the summer about who would take that spot. And a name just surfaced in one of our meetings and it was no surprise because this person has led us in the presence of the Lord for over 20 years at New Life Church. And he has, I've watched him grow up right in front of me. And so today I want you to help me. Would you stand in honor and pray with me as we set in John Egan as one of the elders of our church. Come on up, John. Bring your family up. I want our elders to join us, our pastors. We love you. <laughs> love their family. They, uh, they've all grown up here. I've, I've been here for, they've been born here and raised yeah. here and this is their church. You're their family. And uh, John is, uh, <laughs> he's my friend. And those are hard to come by. And I'm so grateful for the way he's helped us lead. He's been here, listen, he's been standing on this stage bringing you into the presence of the Lord because he's familiar with that place. He's not taking you to a place that he's not familiar with. He's bringing you into a place that he lives in. And so I want you to honor him today. Now, the laying on of hands is very simple. The laying on of hands brings you into physical proximity with someone. And in order to do that, you have to know them. So the laying on of hands is an exchange of friendship, physical nearness, closeness that's built out of friendship. And it's an impartation of friendship back and forth. He's imparting to us and we're imparting to him. 
but it's, it requires relationship to lay hands on someone. And so we take that seriously at New Life Church. Laying on of hands means that we've invested ourselves into this relationship and he's invested himself into our relationship. And because of that, we recognize the call of elder on John's life. So stretch your hands toward him right now. Let's pray over John, Paige, their family. Father, thank you for this man, for the gift that he is to our church and to the body of Christ. Father, what a great deposit you've made in him over the years. Lord, we have watched him grow and mature, sharpen himself and strengthen himself. And Lord, we thank you that this season of the life, Lord, you're calling him to a new assignment into the church to serve as an overseer, an elder, a caretaker of this place. So Father, we recognize that call on his life. We ask now for you to grant him wisdom and strength. And may the power of the Holy Spirit overshadow John and Paige and their children. May their home be filled with indescribable peace and indescribable joy. May the joy of the Lord always be their strength. And so Lord, we pray for a fresh anointing on John to see that he, things that he's never seen, to speak things that he's never spoken, Lord, to serve as an elder in this house. We receive him, we recognize it, we affirm it, and we thank you for it. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. amen. I love you. Amen. All right. I got emotional there. He's a good man. I just, I'm grateful that our church is full of good people. I was with someone this week. I just want to brag on you this week. I was with a family who's losing a child. But they pulled me aside. They said, Pastor Brady, the church is so full of good people. They, they were telling me story after story after story of how you rallied around them and are helping them. And I'd, I'd never met this family. But I just want to brag on you that our church is full of good people. People that you don't know, people you've never met, I promise you, this place is full of people that want to help and serve and be a blessing. And so I, I just want our altar team to come forward right now, our pastors, those of you that serve on the altar team, would you come forward? We're here to pray. If you're new today, we have Guest Central right out in the lobby. We have plenty of time on our hands this afternoon. Uh, the Broncos aren't worth watching until the second half anyway, you know that. So we'll hang around and talk and pray and give you and answer questions for you. We have small groups that are meeting all over our city, hundreds. So if you're looking for a place to belong, a place to be committed, a place where your life can be seen and known, we have places for you. Every day we meet and we'd love to connect with you more about that, all right? Let me pray for you, Rick. Turn your hands toward the Lord. Father, I bless these people, these men, these women, young and old, Lord, we pray you'd send them out now filled with the Spirit. Send them out now, Lord, with the blessing of the Lord. May your face shine upon them. Everywhere they go this week, I pray you'd grant them peace and wisdom. Send them out as missionaries to do great exploits in your name this week. And we bless them. We pray strength over them. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord. See you next week.